What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Good evening. Welcome to Eldo's Targeted Individual Community Call. It's Monday, February 6th, 2017. So I have some things that I want to cover. Um, give you a slight overview. The Examining the Science of Torture, the Price of Coercive Interrogation. Uh, there's something called the Johnson Amendment, and I want to discuss that because it's really important to our civil liberties and civil rights and utilizing what, what, he, what Trump would like to do and how it's dangerous. It's basically an attack on the Constitution. Um, I also want to talk about the 14 characteristics of fascism and what identifying symbols does this domestic terrorist organization use. So what I'm going to talk about um, are things that I've already published based on my analysis of being a victim of this state corporate and academia-sponsored sanction and covered up domestic terrorist organization as they utilize me and other victims of targeting for target practice and to recruit their cult of sleeper cells, civilian sleeper cells, in community after community, state after state, and because it's global initiative, it's nation after nation, because we have global targets. And this is to discuss this whole concept of using the target practice to deny and deprive TIs who came forward to all proper authorities at the local, state, and federal level, non-government organizations, lawyer after lawyer, and law firm after law firm, and were turned away. Flat out turned away. But what it allowed was for this cult of state-sponsored terrorists and their civilian sleeper cells to build a nationwide network so that they can be activated to go after people whoever that go on the list. It's a very orchestrated roadmap that with the election of Trump has now been completed. So remember, a roadmap has a destination. You start at point A and you get to point Z, just say. Okay, and all those things in between are the things that you work out so that you reach your destination. And I've talked about this on several of my shows, that the roadmap is almost complete. But with the election of Trump, it completed the roadmap. And they had all their sleeper cells in place that has infiltrated every segment of society. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, and I want to go back. I'm, I always refer back to my website because crazy can't do an analysis the way I did and be at 95% accurate. The accuracy rate of my website is 95% of being able to detail what transpired and in today's society show 
that I had already documented it. And I'm not the only victim of the crime. See, you have to understand something. There are two kinds of people who would be that accurate. One is the architectural structure and or the handlers that are involved who know what's going on and or academia, state corporate and academia who are involved at that level. They would know what's going on. The other person who could be that accurate in detailing would be a victim of the crimes that they have committed. And that would be me. And that would be these other targets who have documented, even before myself, detailing their targeting. And when you refer back to it, it is not a bunch of delusional people. Because what these, what these so-called psychiatrists and people in the psychiatric community attempt to say is that, oh, they just jumped on the bandwagon. But see, what saves me and what saves all these other targets are the date stamps to when we publish our information. My website detailed information operations. That didn't come out, I, and, it was, and I uploaded everything in 2011 and 2012. Snowden leaks did not come out that detailed information operations. These are highly classified national security agency documents. Ryan Greenwald did not publish information operations until 2014. Yet I detailed the operations almost point for point. And when those classified documents came out, I was justified in what I had to say. Crazy can't do that shit. A victim of the crimes can. Especially when you're being used experimentally for target practice or to recruit your cult of sleeper cells. So I want to talk about torture and the biological damage that transpires. They blast me with what's called vibroacoustic resonance or infrasonic resonance, which creates a vibroacoustic effect. So it creates vibration, constant vibration in the privacy of my home. It's so loud that there are times when it's almost blown out my eardrum because it creates an acoustic pressure. And they blast my house. So when I come home or if I'm in my home, they use it, they triangulate the, the, direct, the, the directed energy weapons and the speaker system in different residential locations. These would be your recruited civilian domestic terrorist sleep cult of sleeper cells that can be activated to do the bidding of the domestic state corporate and academia-sponsored, sanctioned, and covered-up domestic terrorist organization. So they place the hypersonic equipment because hypersonic is, is, is can pinpoint. So you see the long-range acoustic device. You see these protests. And then on top of those, those, um, those Humvees or whatever, the law enforcement is blasting them. It's a, little, it's a square thing, and it pinpoints sound, and it creates frequencies. Now, the people behind it, which would be the law enforcement or the riot police, they don't hear it because the sound is forward, it's forward in motion. That's a long-range acoustic device. Okay, in order to create that, you have to have something called Ultrasound. Ultrasound is an extreme high frequency above the hearing threshold. Okay? Infrasound is an extreme low frequency below the hearing threshold. So you use a directional ultrasound 
to target a specific region or area, which is my house. You have piezoelectric transducers probably equipped underneath the house so that it creates this vib vibration in your home. But vibration can cause biological, physical damage. The cult of indoctrinated, radicalized extremist civilian sleeper cells don't care because they are brainwashed and indoctrinated. This is not happening in Nazi Germany or Pol Pot, Vietnam, or Stalin's Russia. This is happening in the United States of America, and it's been happening for years because the victims of these crimes have gone to all proper authorities, have documented their targeting, have been published long before all this stuff starts coming out. Crazy people cannot do that. Victims can. So in any event, it's time for the dental work. I already went through $1,000 in two appointments. One appointment was just to do the, the x-rays, and the next appointment took the rest of the money, plus I had to pay about $400, $500 out of pocket. The damage dentally is extensive, and I've already documented that to the Presidential Commission for the Study of Bioethical Issues on my public commentary February 2nd and 3rd when they met in San Francisco, California in 2012. Once again, in 2012, I told them about information operations. Now that's two years before the Snowden leaks and Greenwald's publishing of this so-called quote-unquote information operation roadmap. In 2010, and good thing, and thank you, Jeremy Scahill, because he republished his blog in RSS, which is the RSS's archival feed, you know, where it archives your stuff. And he found it, and he republished it. And in 2010, I wrote on his blog asking for help. And I detailed information operations. 20 fucking 10. Four years before the National Security Agency massive leak by Edward Snowden. Four fucking years before it. I nailed it. I happened to send that same request to the Inspector General for the Department of Defense, Waste, Fraud, and Abuse, demanding a criminal investigation into who was deploying and executing military operations on American soil against their own citizens. And when I hit the send button, there were two men who walked out from somewhere, who knows, and they said, she nailed us. Four years before the National Security Leaks, I send a request for a criminal investigation to the Department of Defense Inspector General detailing information operations and what they've done to me as a victim of target practice, and two people said she nailed us. That's 2010. And I have it all published. That's why I know, even if I'm not here, and they wipe my ass off the face of this fucking planet, I have documented it, and I've got a big-ass motherfucking family. And they have all the information they need to sue the motherfucking shit out of the Department of Defense and all their fucking cronies that committed this terrorism on American soil. 
So let's get back to my dental work. I've already spent tens of thousands of dollars fixing the right side of my mouth. Now we have the left side, mainly because I sleep on the left. The right side is due to the very strong possibility of a non-consensual implanted device near the TMJ area by the inner ear canal, which would create an amplification of the vibrations that they're, they're blasting at me. So the right damage from the TMJ to the teeth and the damage on, on the, the, the dental area was all on the right side. But all those teeth are pretty much, you know, I mean, crowns and caps and, uh, uh, and um, uh, what do you call it, root canals and a loss of a tooth that just fell fucking out. That's due, and, and uh, I have a fluid that uh, gathers in the right side of my ear. I had a hot spot on the large taste bud in the back of my mouth. This was all the right side because that was all that implanted device. I did not give them permission for them to implant me so that I became a transmitter and a receiver for these fucking biological, technological terrorists who are doing their criminal experimentations without my consent. So that's tens of thousands of dollars on the right side. So now it's the left side because they're utilizing and they started doing this in and around, you know, I had documented actually on my website, you can see that I talk about this acoustic vibration. They create a, an extreme low frequency vibration throughout your living space. Vibrate your whole body, your central nervous system. It heats up your, in, 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 your organs. So it's like putting, someone putting an ultrasound. So if you've ever been for an ultrasound scan, any ultrasound technician knows you never put that, that, that little device, you know, that little scanning device, you don't leave it on the body and walk out of the room for 10 or 15 minutes and leave it on the human biology because you will burn the shit out of the inside, their internal organs. That's what the sonic does, the sonic energy. Yet they're blasting that shit through my house, and it's indiscriminate forms of violence. That's why when I use the term terrorism, one of the key factors is not only to inculcate fear, but it is also this indiscriminate violence that is perpetrated by the indoctrinated, cult-driven civilian population who has been radicalized into extremism and believes that they have the right to commit these indiscriminate acts of violence. Now, when terrorists are doing this, they always say that they're doing it for a just cause, so they're not breaking the law. But if somebody else does it, well, then they're criminals. But that's what happens when you are indoctrinated and brainwashed by negative false light narratives, which means basically proper fucking ganda. But see, we read all our wording so that people think, well, it's not, you know, we don't call it brutal torture. We call it enhanced interrogation. Right? We don't call it mind control anymore. We call it behavioral modification. So you can rebrand anything, and it can sound benign. But the end result is still going to be as brutal 
as the original word that described it, because that's what it is. So I'm being tortured in the privacy of my living space because these people want their, for the people who are experimenting, well, they want to know what the long-term ramifications of blasting someone with a directed energy weapon through vibrations is. Now, they already know that there's something called vibroacoustic disease. So let me give you some details about what vibroacoustic disease is. So this came from the National uh, Institute of Health, and it's the clinical, and this is an old one. So they've been doing studies because they have, you you have to understand, under the USA Patriot Act and the National Security Agency, you know, the letter that they give you that you can't tell anyone that you got, okay, they can confiscate information. So they can walk into my dentist, my doctor, to the neighbors or whatever, and they can say, here's the National Security letter. This is what you're going to do. You're going to give up information. So I even have it on my website how I have paid for the damages that they have caused to fix what they have done. And then they walk in with their national security letter or their fucking USA Patriot Act, and they turn around and they get all the computational medical and dental and optical information so that they can write and publish. Because most of these fucking these, these clinicians that are doing these clinical experiments without the consent of the victim, all they give a shit about with their narcissistic egos is to publish the findings. The vast majority of the findings that are coming out today in cognitive neuroscience and neurotechnologies will not be gotten because it takes years to get that information. Yet look at all the, 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 the data that's coming out about what you can do with neuroscience and neurotechnology how they've mapped the human brain, how they know every freaking synapsis. Well, how do you know that? Because, see, you, did a blo- you took the money from government agencies, in particular the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, who has weaponized neuroscience and neurotechnology, and you have sat there, and all the things you're publishing came out of that black budget, blood-fucking money drawer that was all classified that now, after in 2000, what was it, 2014, when Obama says, we're going to be doing the brain project. Really? Because on my website, I was already fucking published about the brain and weaponizing that science and that technology and not using it to enhance somebody's human life, but to debilitate it, to to, to literally disrupt someone's cognitive motor, central nervous system, and or behavioral functions, not to help enhance their life, but to diminish it, to use it as a weapon on some enemy so you could incapacitate personnel. That is an anti-personnel weapon. It's a biological, technological weapon of mass destruction. When you can send a frequency that can drop everybody to their knees. That is a weapon. It is a biological, technological weapon. And hey, there's a man who got 30 years in prison, a white supremacist, who says he's going to make a ray gun and he's going to weaponize it so that it would direct energy, a beam of energy, the enemies. 
In this case, apparently it was Muslim. That was ionizing radiation. But it's still the same concept. Ionizing, non-ionizing, it doesn't matter. It's just how fast you fucking get cancer and goddamn die. That's why on my website I call it slow kill because they're using non-ionizing radiation, which means it takes longer, but it still kills you in the end. Ionizing radiation, which this man was charged with a weapon of mass destruction, attempting to build and distribute and utilize a weapon of a biological weapon of mass destruction, was called a ray gun, a death ray gun, that would beam ionizing radiation at people, so it would poison them biologically. So needless to say, fibroacoustic disease. This is what happens when you create vibration, an extreme low frequency vibration. Your whole body is being rattled constantly. So it says the clinical stages of vibroacoustic disease. So it tells you the background, right, of of the frequencies, the low frequency noise. The clinical progression is insidious and lesions are found in many systems throughout the body. Some of the findings, such as extracellular matrix changes, appear to be specific to this disease. Others, such as cognitive impairment, seem to be common in different types of stress-induced pathology. Then it goes, methods were analyzed. So it tells you that the results, we have classified vibroacoustic disease in functions of the time it took for 50% of the population to acquire the relevant sign or symptoms. Stage one, mild signs, behavioral and mood associated with repeated infections of the respiratory tract. For example, bronchitis. And just to let you know, I came back up here from L.A. and I did help my uncle out. And they were, they've been blasting his house since I got back here and they never stopped. See, they think that they're using it to help someone. That's a crock of motherfucking shit. He's got stage four. Not in the right lung, which was already the lung that, was, that he already had the surgery on. It's in the left lung. All that vibration. It show us fucking help. Hell didn't help him. Stage two, moderate size, depression and aggressiveness. No shit. Okay. Precardial thickening and, and other extracellular matrix changes, light to moderate hearing impairment, and discrete neurovascular disorders. Stage three, severe signs, myocardial infraction, which means it can bring on a heart attack. Okay, stroke, malignancy, epilepsy, and or suicide. They blast me because, remember, part of this thing is they're too chicken shit to fucking just kill me. If you want me dead, you chicken shit motherfuckers, then why don't you just kill me? But you're too chicken shit to do that. So you think by torturing someone until they, you drive them mad, you're going to get them to commit suicide, and then you can blame the victim. And then you think you don't have to take any personal responsibility for what the fuck you inflicted on the victim. Wrong. I ain't going anywhere, motherfuckers. Other than to make sure... Do you know why I stay alive? Is to make sure you motherfuckers are executed for what you've done to me. It's a real simple premise. 
anyway, this is conclusions. This classification should be capable of assessing work fitness. So what it is is that people, you know, like people who use jackhammers or you're around like, um, what do you call it, um, areas where there's like motors or, you know, this constant vibration. It actually causes damage to the human biology. So now I'm going to flash over to my website because there was a book because most of these fucking perfs are too stupid to read books. They just do whatever their handlers tell them. So <clears throat> there was a book that came out, and it was um, – Oh, let me get it. And it's on my website, and it was part of my, you know, I was just doing, um, it's on one of my daily blogs, and it's called Future Wars, Non-Lethal Weapons in 21st Century Warfare by Colonel John B. Alexander, U.S. Army Retired. Now, I want to let you know, Colonel Alexander used to be pretty credible until he and his wife decided to go off to some did that because, you know, that's part of the, the way to discredit people. So now they're into that shit. But when he was normal, put it that way, and he was talking because he worked with NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, on the advent and the, the um, proliferation of directed energy weapons, this Colonel Alexander wrote a book, and it was pretty good. Cause it, really, it, it was one of the few books that would actually discuss directed energy weapons. Directed energy weapons harness the electromagnetic spectrum. Various frequencies can be harnessed and turned into what's known as a weapon. Whether it can spy on your computer to sending a signal to jam your computer, computerized systems, your electronics, okay? That is all a part of this thing called the electromagnetic spectrum. And on the Information Operation 2003 Information Operation Roadmap, the main goal was domination of the electromagnetic spectrum. What does that mean? Whatever runs on that spectrum, whether it's your AM-FM radio all the way to nuclear weapons, that all runs on what's called radio frequency electromagnetics, okay? These motherfuckers figured out how to harness it, and they've been working on it for years. So when they set off the nuclear explosion, they noticed something. It fried out all the electronics around it, right? So you know how the nuclear bomb goes off or the atomic bomb goes off, and the next thing you know, there's that wave. that It's like a, a force multiplier, and you see the wave go all the way across. That wave blows up all the electronics. So in their crazy-ass weaponized heads, they think, hmm, what does that mean? That means that we can harness that and create directed energy weapons that run on the lower end of the spectrum of radio frequencies of non-ionizing radiation. So what's non-ionizing radiation? Non-ionizing radiation is your AM, FM radio, your cell phone, your Wi-Fi, okay, <laughs> your microwave, although that's higher up on the spectrum that starts going into ionizing radiation. So these are the basic communication, your, your communication. Okay, that's all non-ionizing radiation. Uh, MRI machines. Okay, that uses electromagnetics, but it's not as toxic, right? Uh, ultrasound. These are more, uh, you know, the new CT, the CT x-rays that they do of your chest and things, those now run off of non-ionizing radiation. It's not as potent, okay? Then when you start moving up the spectrum, you have, like, you know, microwave and ultraviolet, okay? Then you go into something called ionizing radiation. Ionizing radiation 
is, you know, when you go to the dentist and they put that lead bib over you, because that is more toxic to the human biology, right? So you're talking x-rays. You're talking uh, uh, atomic energy, nuclear energy. Those are all much more damaging to the human DNA and biology. But ionizing, non-ionizing radiation, they don't know. Because since we're surrounded by it, one of the experiments is to find out what happens to the human biology when they're exposed to all this non-ionizing radiation. So what do they do? They get a target. They set them up through a smear, fear, hate, retaliation, and revenge campaign. They go around the neighborhood. They radical. They look for the leaders in communities. They give them a negative false light narrative about the victim. They claim that that person is the enemy or needs to be watched. They set them up through character and credibility assassination. These people become indoctrinated through negative false light narratives. You can you, the, the government is, is they're they're so fucking blatant that they've done all of it in plain sight. And yet these people who claim, and then the best way to get most of these assets or your, your community-based uh, terrorists is to stoke their egos. Tell them how they're chosen, how they're so smart that nobody can control them, how these technologies would never work because they got God on their side, how, how none of this could happen because they're chosen and so smart. And the first thing you ask yourself is, well, if you're so smart, what are you doing in a cult? It's just like people say, mind control technology doesn't work on me because God, because I have God, really. So don't you think that the premise of you believing in God, someone that you can't prove exists, and then you're saying because you have God, no one can mind control you? Don't you think that you're already mind-controlled, or should I say brainwashed, into a false belief system that somehow no one could touch you because you have God on your side? You know how many people throughout the ages have prayed to their gods to make the massacres or the bombings or the genocides to stop? And did those fucking gods come down and save their motherfucking asses? Of course not. So when you say you have God on your side and that makes you so strong that nobody can touch you, we had one target who was so – because what they do is they'll prey upon the person. So if their weakness is religion, then they push upon that. They'll get people that are like more satanic or whatever, so they think their targeting is the satanic worshipers. I don't live in a community of satanic worshipers. I don't live in a community of Scientologists. They have figured out how to manipulate any segment of society no matter what socioeconomic, what ethnic background, they drop ship their operators, their psi operators, into these communities. They, they know who the people are. They assess the communities, and they say, these people are intolerant of that. These people are intolerant of this. These people are afraid of that. And suddenly, that target becomes everything that they fear. So that it makes it easier to turn those people against the innocent person. They have been perfecting the technique for years. That's why with Trump in the office, it's real easy now. 
because they perfected the techniques. So anyway, with this directed energy weapons, it causes damage. Because, you know, I digress, and I apologize for that, but I'll get back to my teeth. Because I've already spent tens of thousands of dollars fixing the right side, not the left side. And what really bothers me about this is that I always went to the dentist every six months. I grew up like that. And when I worked, I had insurances that covered it. And what it didn't cover, I had the financing to fix it. They're talking about implants. You need dental implants because these teeth are falling apart. They're down, all, they're down to the nerve or beyond the nerve. It's beyond repair. Tens of thousands of dollars if I wanted to fix my teeth the way they should have been fixed or I wouldn't even be at this point because every six months I would have been going to the dentist and they'd be filling those little fillings, those little decays that were happening. But when you destroy somebody's life and their character and their credibility and you go out and you destroy their financial, their ability to make a financial living, they have to settle for what they can get so they can survive. But do these radical extremists give a shit? No. They think that me, the target, deserves it. Not that I know 99% of the people who target me, I have no fucking idea who they are. And I personally don't care because I don't give a shit what you do in your personal life. But these people have made it a goal. Total strangers have made it a goal to interfere with my personal life. See, that's what I have a problem with. You can do what the hell you want to so long as you don't cross that line and decide for me what you think I deserve. That's not your place. But I'm dealing with an entire nationwide motherfucking cult that believes they have a right to dictate the outcome of my living life. Where does that sound familiar? That's right, it's all coming out in the Trump era. But see, I've been living it for years. And so have other victims of this crime. Oh, now let me get back to the damage. But first let me talk about future wars, non-lethal weapons, and 21st century warfare by Colonel John B. Alexander, U.S. Army, retired. And this is just an excerpt. But I read the whole book. I don't just take excerpts. I actually read the whole books. In addition to levitation of objects, it is known that materials can be destabilized with acoustic energy. Other indications of that interaction of sound on stone objects include complaints that have been lodged by the U.S. Parks and Recreation Service about damage to the bridges of Red Rock at Arcs National Monument in Utah. The damage has been caused by United States Air Force fighters that frequently overfly the area on combat maneuvers. Dean Barker and Old Crow and Old Crow from the World War II era has continued to explore military application of acoustic technology. He stated that in experiments he conducted for the Army 20 years ago, and this book was written in 1998, I believe. 20 years ago, right? So just what, you, what the fuck do you think they have now? They could kill you. 
Bottom line. <clears throat> he stated that in experiments he conducted for the Army 20 years ago, they were able to move concrete walls a slight distance. Parker also reported that they had successfully destabilized critical metal elements. He claimed to have an acoustic device that could be placed next to a railroad track, a railroad track that would cause them to weaken. The structural fatigue was not visible to the naked eye, but the track would disintegrate when the train ran over it. So here's my take on some of this 9-11. You remember how the building just turned to powder? Well, if you're using infrasonic resonance, like they blast at this house, I can tell you while I was living back down in L.A. the second time around, two different areas of plumbing just burst in the building that I was living in. But they were blasting sound. So if you have old piping, that's a metal structure. What does it do? The, when you look at it, it looks like it's normal. But what the vibrations are doing is breaking down the elements on the inside, and next thing you know, the, the plumbing just exploded. Across the, across the way the other building, all of a sudden I'm looking out the window, and water is leaking down the wall of this apartment complex. What happened? The piping burst in the building across the way. Why? Because they're blasting energy, acoustic, vibroacoustic energy at the building which is breaking down the elements. Now, just think what it's doing to my human biology, why my teeth are falling out of my fucking mouth. Well, it's because the military has known for years. So when you, when you, when you go back to 9-11, why did it turn to powder? I mean, it was pretty much powder. That's why these, a lot of these... Um, the firemen, you know, the rescue workers and people that were around it have the severe lung disease. They inhaled these elements, the, the, the composites, the chemical composites that made up the metals turned to dust. Well, what does this say here? Barker, so let me go back to this because these are things that people need to think about. If you're blasting an, uh, acoustic energy and you're, you're, you're amplifying it at a certain time, you know, from, from 7 to, say, you know, 6 in the morning. And you're just blasting the motherfucking shit out of that building, especially in areas where you know the weak points are. You can barely hear it. So remember, infrasound, infrasound is an extreme low frequency below the hearing threshold. The, more than likely, the reason why I can hear it through my right ear is because they have a fucking implant in there that I did not give them permission to fucking put in there. So they can amplify it through that side because that's where I pick it up off of. But think about this. Blasting that acoustic energy, turning it to powder, to dust. Now the outside looks normal, but the inside, the structure, the chemical compounds are being rattled apart. Like my teeth, why are all my crowns and, and most of my teeth, that, all these cavities that were already filled, why is it that they came apart so that there's more bacteria that can go into the other forms of the cavity? Because you're constantly vibrating somebody. You know, like that sonic, your sonic toothbrush, put it in water, or the sonic jewelry cleaner. Look at how that resonance cleans that jewelry right out, right? 
all the compounds that get into the jewelry, it just, it just, it rattles it away. Well, that's what they're doing to my human fucking biology. And since you're pointing it that directs towards the head, so I have to listen to it, where do you think the main area is being damaged? So let me repeat this. Dean Barker, an old quo from the World War II era, has continued to explore military applications of acoustic technology. He stated that in experiments he conducted for the Army 20 years ago, they were able to move concrete walls a slight distance. Barker also reported that they had successfully destabilized critical metal elements. He claimed to have an acoustic device that could be placed next to the railroad tracks that would cause them to weaken. The structural fatigue was not visible to the naked eye, but the track would disintegrate when the train ran over it. Clearly, there is a military mission for acoustic technology that can prevent enemy material from being used effectively. So if it can burst the pipes, the old pipes in these older buildings in L.A. when I moved down there the second time, burst those pipes. They blast my house every fucking day. All night long. I have a back that's fucked up beyond repair. The lower lumbar, the L4 and L5. Rapid deterioration. Rapid deterioration and bone spurs. Mind you, I didn't do physical work lifting and carrying. I worked in fucking offices. These are the type of damages physically that are caused. So like I said, had I been working in, an, in the, the, the lifestyle that I was living when I was working in the entertainment industry and able to afford certain things and going to the dentist every six months, I wouldn't be spending these thousands of dollars because the damage is so fucking extensive, it's beyond, almost beyond repair. And a couple of them are beyond repair. They have to be extracted. When a dentist tells you that it gave them the heebie-jeebies because they're drilling your teeth because it's so far down to the nerve that if it doesn't work, you might as well just let the tooth die and pull it. I brush my teeth. I floss my teeth twice a day. This is the type of shit that transpires when you're targeted. But they don't give a shit because they expect you to pay for the damages and they walk in with their NSA letters, their national security letters, and or their USA Patriot Act and say, we're confiscating this information. We want the data. You want the data to find out what the long-term biological damage is to overexposure to non-ionizing motherfucking radiation. It's a biological, technological weapon. It is not being used to enhance somebody else's human living life. It is being weaponized in order to disrupt and harm other people. It is an anti-personnel weapon to be used not just on people like me, but on whole crowds of people under 
information operations, and domination of the electromagnetic spectrum is one more thing that came out in a 2006 government report. And that says, <clears throat> let me get to that because I'm already on my website, so I might as well read it. <clears throat> so under non-lethal, non-kinetic, uh, formerly known as psychotronic weapons, right? I say that their greatest strengths have become their greatest weaknesses. They rely too much on these weaponized technologies. And I know how to bring them down, by the way. So when, we get, when this revolution gets started, you come get me, because I know how to bring it all down. Because they rely on these technologies, and there's a way to bring it down. So they can't communicate, and then you can strike. Fuck you, assholes, for what you've done to me. See, a part of studying, you thought you was profiling me. I profiled you guys for a long-ass time. I know how you operate. I know how you think. I know what you guys do to people in order to scare them. And I know how to bring down your weapons. So their greatest strengths have become their greatest weaknesses. They rely too much on these weaponized technologies. Slow cook of the human target. Sim similar to a microwave oven that cooks food from the inside out. These radio frequency electromagnetic non-kinetic non-lethal weapons are being used to slowly cook human beings, also known as targeted victims, from the inside out. For example, internal organs, brains, blood, muscles, tissues, cells, etc. Generally, within the privacy of their home. Geneva Academy of International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights defines non-kinetic weapons or non-lethal as a non-kinetic energy weapon is one that threatens to or inflicts harm to a person other than through the application to the human body of the, of the energy that a bullet fragment or other projectile possesses due to its motion. The term encompasses devices or agents that act as a weapon through the emission of different forms of radiation or sound, diffusion of chemical or biological agents, or the transmission of electricity. Many of these weapons have been deemed non-lethal or less lethal insofar as they are claimed to reduce the risk of fatal or serious injury. Okay, so it's a weapon. And never call it non-lethal because that's a crock of shit. Less lethal is more likely the term because it could kill you. And the military also looks at non-lethal weapons as a force multiplier into kinetic force. So there's non-kinetic and there's kinetic. Okay? Kinetic force is a bullet, a baton, a bomb, a missile. So that's kinetic energy coming at something. Non-kinetic means that it's a form of energy, but it's not quite as powerful as the impact of a baton or a bat or a bullet, okay? So it's kind of like, do you slow kill or do you fast kill, right? So slow kill is non-kinetic energy, you know, by frying out your electronics so that you spend all this money to replace it. That's a form of non-kinetic. Psychological warfare is considered non-kinetic warfare. So propaganda is non-kinetic warfare. Kinetic warfare, so that's kind of like a slow kill, right? Kinetic warfare is to kill you. So it's a slow kill or a fast kill. So for you dumbass motherfuckers who don't have the brain to comprehend what I'm saying, think of it in terms of non-kinetic equals slow kill, kinetic equals fast kill. But in the end, it's still kill 
or to incapacitate personnel. So the North Atlantic Treaty Organization defines non-kinetic or non-lethal weapons as non-lethal weapons are weapons which are explicitly designed and developed to incapacitate or repel personnel, a human being. So anti-personnel means for humans. We are personnel. We are considered quote-unquote personnel. So an anti-personnel is anti-human weapon in the non-kinetic form, the slow kill, not the fast kill like kinetic force. Now, how the fuck does someone who did production accounting in the entertainment industry know all this shit? Because I'm a victim of their fucking crimes. That's why. So, with the low probability of fatality or permanent injury or to disable equipment with minimal undesired damage of impact uh, on the environment. So, then it goes into millimeter waves. I'm sorry. I must have had it under information operations. Domination of the electromagnetic spectrum. Let me get that one. So this report came from CRS. It's a government report. Information operations, electronic warfare, and cyber warfare capabilities and related policy issues updated 20 March 2007. Clay Wilson, Specialist in Technology and National Security, Foreign Affairs, Defense, and Trade Division, Information Operations, Electronic Warfare, and Cyber War Capabilities and Related Policy. So let me get to domination of the electromagnetic spectrum. Ooh, isn't that, doesn't that sound nice? So, and I'm sorry, it's electromagnetic non-kinetic weapons. Non-kinetic weapons emit directed electromagnetic energy that in short pulses may permanently disable enemy computer circuitry. For example, an electromagnetic non-kinetic weapon mounted in an aircraft or on the ground might disable an approaching enemy missile by directing a high-powered microwave or HPM beam that burns out the circuitry or that sends a false telemetry signal to misdirect the targeting computer. So this is the key right here. Also, at reduced power, electromagnetic non-kinetic weapons or non-lethal weapons or less lethal weapons can also be used as a non-lethal method for crowd control. Now, every year, the Pentagon opens the courtyard and all the gizmos and gadgets that these weapons manufacturers develop in this so-called range of not less lethal weapons. Okay, never use non-lethal because they are lethal. We have dead targets to prove it. Less lethal. So they open up the courtyard and all the gizmos and gadgets that these people have developed, they display them for the military so that they can get contracts to buy them. Now, where the fuck do you think they field tested all those fucking weapons in the non-lethal or less lethal, non-kinetic world? They put them in the hands of these civilian radical extremists and they fired them indiscriminately at people like me. And then when they figured out that it didn't burn me, because I have third-degree burns on my body, I have scars on my eyes, there's untold biological internal damage to the neurology, the central nervous system. Well, we know my spine, my lower lumbar, the L4 and L5, my teeth. See, these are all the negative biological effects, and they want to know what happens when you fire these weapons or a series of these weapons at an unarmed defenseless human being over X period of time. Go talk to them at Fort Sam in Houston, in uh, Fort Sam, Houston, in Austin, Texas, 
where the United States Department of Defense has a state-of-the-art facility that they opened up to study the human biological effects of exposure to directed energy weapons. I know my human biology, along with other targeted victims, holds the material evidence to the pure and concentrated torturous crimes that they have inflicted upon us and against us. So Fort Sam Houston in Austin, Texas, has a state-of-the-art facility that is studying the biological damages and effects of exposure to non-ionizing radiation in the forms of their directed energy weapons. But they swore that we were talking science fiction, that we were making our stuff up. Shit, we, they even have a shill in the New York Times, and you could type in targeted individual, and they'll tell you how the fucking delusional targets are supposed to be. I've never seen anyone in the history of putting character and credibility assassinating a group of people in the sheer means by which they put down the targeted individual community and how crazy they are. We got people who believe in fucking ghosts and aliens and reptilians. Shit, they even have TV shows promoting that bullshit. They don't ever degrade and denigrate people in the manner in which that New York Times reporter put down the targeted individual community. And you know why? Think about it. Because everybody knows people who believe in aliens and reptilians and all that other shit. Well, you know, that, they, that's kind of like conspiracy. But when you put down and you try to character and credibility assassinate to that degree, then those people must be telling the truth. Because you don't go after people in that manner unless the other side has something to hide. I have never, ever read in all my time, even the, these Christian fundamentalists and their God and, you know, the Bible is the word, you know, even though it's been written 1,500 to 2,000 fucking years after the fact and somehow it's still the word by interpretation of a gazillion other freaking people, and then the new international version of the Bible that has the new, new international version of the Bible that's been re, 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 reinterpreted, but that is the word. They don't even put that shit down. The way that New York Times reporter and these other shills for the government and for academia and for these corporations have put down the TI community. Never have I seen that level of vicious character and credibility assassination against a group of people who say the government are performing non-consensual human experimentation on their own people, on American soil. They have turned this country into a laboratory of experimentation from radicalizing people so that they'll commit... In, you know what? You know, I talk about this term, radical, uh, radicalization, to commit indiscriminate acts of violence. DARPA had a solicitation, and this is all, this, this is what I'm saying. They have no fucking shame. It's all out there in the public domain. DARPA had a solicitation for narrative network teams. Three phases of narrative network teams. One, how do you use the story? to radicalize people, 
so that they'll commit indiscriminate acts of violence. So that's the first thing. Create a narrative, a negative false light narrative, and see what it does to the, uh, the ontology of a story, a made-up story, and how to radicalize people. Take your average community members, God-fearing fucking Christians, and could you radicalize them to commit indiscriminate acts of violence against someone they didn't know based on a negative false light narrative that you sold? Phase two, study the psychology and neurobiology of what happens to the average Joe and Jane in a community when they have been given a negative false light story about, say, a member of the community, like a PI. Study the psychology, the biology, the sociology of what happens to that average person and how that story causes them to change their opinions to the point where they're willing to commit indiscriminate acts of violence. That's phase two. Phase three of the DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency's solicitation, phase three was to build standoff modality sensor systems, malleant detectors, so that you can take an average person and watch the neurobiology and physiology of the brain as it rises to radicalization based on the groupthink and the individual, so that these modalities, these sensor systems, can spot malleant detection. Now, where are you going to get your fucking field testing from? You think people are going to volunteer for shit like that? I don't think so. Because if you knew that that's what they were doing, then it wouldn't be a surprise to watch people rise to radicalization until they're willing to commit indiscriminate acts of violence like they have done to targeted individuals. DARPA solicitation, BAA something. You can find it. It's all in the public domain. They didn't have they don't have any shame. They're right out there publishing all of it. Crazy people can't find shit like that. But victims of the crime know what to look for and they find it. So this is what I'm saying is that these people, whether you're the experimenter, we're not the targeted individual, the solo individual target is a done fucking deal from head to toe, all the way down to our molecular biology. They know how much fucking damage they've caused. But what about using a target to gather the groups so that you can radicalize them into extremism so you can study extremism? In every segment of society, every socioeconomic, every ethnic background, every religious background. Now you have the keys to the kingdom. You have a Bible, an operational Bible of what to look for and how to deploy operations. And you used innocent American law-abiding citizens, some of whom are dead now. That's murder in the first degree. And I am so glad, so glad that there is no statute of limitation on murder because I want these motherfuckers to be executed for the crimes that they have committed. And I don't give a shit who the fuck they think they are. 
So the damage that it causes, not just biologically, this torture, but what is causing to my, my, my own biology, the amount of money that I have had to spend while the rules were to replace electronics, to have to move over and over and over again being set up by this cult. The tens of thousands of dollars that I've spent and the even more money that I lost in wages and retirement, the punitive damages, some of them have no, the value cannot be calculated. Like the time they stole from my life. The relationships that I'll never get back. These are things that money can't buy. Did these people care? No. So why should I care when I say I want them to be executed for the crimes that they have committed? It's only fair play. So now I'm going to read something for you. And this was examining the science of torture, the price of coercive interrogation. It was posted in alternate.org by Diane Cole, Psychotherapy Network, 26 July 2017. In 2014, Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times journalist James Rison made headlines by revealing that the American Psychological Association, or APA, had supported and helped legitimize the Bush administration's use of torture in its post-9-11 war on terror. After first dismissing the claims, the American Psychological Association, or APA, commissioned an independent committee to investigate the allegations. That committee's 542-page report, which appeared in July 2015, documented the truth of everything Rison had reported. The APA had indeed secretly collaborated with the Department of Defense, the Central Intelligence Agency, and the White House. The report found, found in cooperating with these agencies, the APA had reinterpreted its professional code of ethics to allow military psychologists to participate in national security interrogations, even those that use so-called enhanced interrogation techniques, or EIT. Made infamous at the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq and at Guantanamo, this enabled the government to argue that the sessions, because mental health professionals were monitoring them, were safe and therefore technically not torture. By contrast, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Medical Association, and the American Nurses Association had all declined to assist the government, each citing its ethical guidelines best summed up as first do no harm. And that's a crock of shit because every single one of those that you just mentioned have all actively participated in the studying the biological effects of what's being done to us. I don't think it. I stake my life on it.
After the report's release, the APA apologized. Several officials resigned or were fired, and its governing board banned the direct participation of psychologists at all national security interrogations, including Guantanamo and other prison sites. Yet the issue remains controversial, with the Pentagon continuing to ask the APA to reconsider the prohibition. So what does that mean for you dumbass motherfuckers who don't understand shit, okay, if you have a low comprehension? What it means is that it was torture. But because these people at the highest levels of the American Psychological Association were in collusion with the Department of Defense, the Central Intelligence Agency, and other agencies, including getting special grants, etc., to do other kinds of research, they lowered the standards. Or because they're the professionals that you are supposed to believe in, they said, well, it's really not torture. So because they said it, the dumb people who have no critical thinking skills said, well, if they say it's not torture, then it must not be torture, even though it was torture. See what happens when you collude with people? You're willing to drop your own ethical standards because then you can rely on the group to take the fall or the handler to take the fall. So that's what they're really talking about, is that these people at the highest level, the executive director, the head of pub, the public relations, all these people in the APA had other ventures with these government agencies. So it's like you scratch my back, I scratch your back, right? Quid pro quo. So instead of saying it's torture, which it was torture, and it is torture, and even Obama said we tortured some people, okay? They used the APA because of their name, right? So you're abusing your position of expertise, right? When you abuse your position of power and or expertise. In this case, they're the experts, or they're supposed to be the experts, but because they had vested other interests, they were willing to say, okay, if you don't want us to say this, you know, uh, slamming people against the wall, sleep depriving them for weeks, you know, making them um, squat, torturing them with directed energy weapons, that's not torture, then we'll say it's not torture. even though it is torture. So they commissioned this outside group to do it, this 540-page, and they thought that that, was, that group was going to go for them, this law firm. They turned a lot of that information over to the Federal Bureau of Investigation because it was in violation of the RICO Act. That's organized fucking criminal activity. You know the RICO and Hobbs Act? That's about organized crime. So it says, in one of many unnerving conclusions, the report found little evidence of analysis or discussion about the best or right ethical position to take in light of the nature of the profession and the special skills that psychologists possess regarding how our minds and emotions work, a special skill that presumably allows psychologists to be especially good at both healing and harming. Nor did they apparently spend much time researching or weighing any available evidence of historical accounts about torture's actual utility in compelling suspects to confess. But Shane O'Mara, professor of experimental brain research at Trinity College Dublin and director of the Trinity College Institute of Neuroscience, 
<coughs> has done so. His findings His findings in his new book, Why Torture Doesn't Work, The Neuroscience of Interrogation, and They're Devastating, and They're Devastating. Omar doesn't hide his abhorrence of torture, but he leads ethical arguments against it to experts in that field. Instead, he sets himself the task of assessing the science behind a major justification for the use of torture, which is, he writes, to motivate captives to reveal information intentionally withheld under normal interrogation. In other words, does torture actually work? In 1798, Napoleon answered the question succinctly by declaring the barbarous custom of having men beaten who are suspected of having important secrets to reveal must be abolished. It has always been recognized that this way of interrogating men by putting them into torture produces nothing worthwhile. The poor wretches say anything that comes into their minds and what they think the interrogators wish to know, quote unquote. Using a broad swath of scientific, psychological, and medical evidence about brain function, Omara ultimately concludes the same thing. But science testing actual torture techniques on humans should be unethical and immoral one might reasonably wonder what the sources of Omara's data are. His research, he writes, is grounded in what we know about what happens within the brain as a result of the imposition of the chronic, severe, and extreme stressors states used in torture. For instance, he mines a mountain of studies conducted on rodents and monkeys. That would be targets like me and other targets. We are the rodents and monkeys from which the human impact of torture techniques can be extrapolated. We have to learn how to survive through it, trust me. But a lot of targets didn't make it. He takes us through brain imaging studies of humans to help us understand the pain matrix of different areas of the brain involved in sensing and responding to pain, areas that are subject to grave damage by EITs, Enhanced Interrogation Techniques. He explains the ways in which the prolonged release of stress hormones negatively affects the hippocampus and prefrontal cortex, degrading memories even if a detainee has information to remember. He draws on a plethora of sleep research, often conducted in sleep labs, showing the severe impacts of sleep deprivation on human cognitive functions, including memory. He similarly cites studies of simulated drowning to show that depriving the brain of oxygen also does the opposite of enhancing memory. He details the multitude of noxious de deadening effects on brain functioning and cognition caused by cooling, eating, and starving. His descriptions of the psychological and physical impact of torture are chilling to read. I'm surprised I'm still standing and I can sit here and talk to you. But I have to compartmentalize things in order to survive. Given all the evidence, one can't help but wonder on what premise did the post-9-11 terror experts base their belief in the information-gathering efficacy of torture? Not on factual evidence, concludes Omara, but on assumptions and intuitions often derived from popular culture, especially Hollywood movies and TV series, in which cruel and coercive tactics regularly succeed in loosening tongues in times to prevent an imminent attack or defuse a ticking bomb. 
it appears to be the case, dot, 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 that one popular television series, 24, profoundly influenced interrogation practices. Omara writes, quoting an interrogator as admitting that the character Jack Bauer gave people lots of ideas. The trouble is, these ideas are contrary to reality. Omara systematically separates the neuroscientific facts from the false assumptions of fiction and fantasy to show that torture doesn't, and given our psychological and neurological limits alone, (coughs) cannot yield the public goal of eliciting information. Rather, torture has more or less exactly opposing effects to... Excuse me. Those intended, Omara writes, the reason is negative, negatively affects the brain system's concern with intention, motivation, stress, mood, and memory, shutting down the very brain regions that need to function at full throttle to call up the kind of detailed information interrogator seeks. Omara delves into and disproves another popular misconception about memory that goes against the reality, that it's like a video recorder that can be rewound to a particular moment and then replayed at as it actually happened. So interrogators just need to force the detainee to get to that spot. As Omara points out, numerous psychological studies have shown that memory does not work that way. Rather than undeniable recording forever, what happens, memory is fragile, fallible, and unreliable, subject to decay and distortion by any number of psychological and situational factors including suggestibility and conflation of other events and the passage of time and all the events before physical and psychological stresses are applied. That's why I tell everyone to document because it does happen. So if you're documenting date, time, and event, and you don't have to go into large details, just date, time, and event so that it jogs your memory about what happened. But you don't, that way, because you won't sometimes remember. I mean, I can remember, I have memory where once it locks into my um, long-term memory, I could call up articles from 10 years ago because I happened to pass it while I was reading something, and then I could pull up the article or, or whatever I read or something. But it has to sink into the long-term memory. These guys zap your fucking brain, and then they'll zap your short-term memory right out of your head. So that's why if you can remember date, time, and event, that's why it's good to have video and audio recorders so that you can just jot it down, and then it can jog your memory when you need it. And, and that's how I taught myself. That's why I can rely back on it. So it's like training yourself. And even when extreme measures do yield information, it's credibility. That's why you videotape, because you, you could not remember something right. That's why you video and audio tape. So that, that's pretty much what's there. Uh, must always, but then like when they video and audio tape you, they only show the negative stuff. They don't show you all the shit they did to get you to fucking snap and start yelling at these fucking people. So anyway, it's credibility must always be questioned was it provided only in the hope of ending extreme interrogation tactics. TV scripts to the contrary. There's no scientific proof whatsoever that there's some independent check on whether someone is telling the truth. Neither lie detector tests nor brain scans can verify or disprove whether someone's lying. So, yes, you can. Actually, uh, neurotechnologies can do it through optical. This is the next next generation biometrics that are coming out, um, and it can. You use optical facial... um, optical, facial, vocal, and uh, to brain recognition. And what it does is for certain spikes that happen, pu- dilations of pupil and stuff, and so unless you're a total fucking psychopath that can just, like, eat your way through shit, 
then pretty much you can they, if they put you in a biometric hot room down the road they, you or put you in a neural neural cap and that's what the um that's what the um the bioethics the presidential commission for the study of bioethical issues in San Francisco in 2012 all those fucking academia motherfucking assholes who who know that we're being tortured and they didn't do shit to help us but those guys up there they were talking about a neural cap and that down the road, basically, you couldn't even be protected by the Fifth Amendment, which is, you know, self-incrimination, because if you held the information in your brain, and there was a court case, there's two court cases, and in both cases, they lost. And it had to do with, you have the, you, have, you know, it's an encrypted laptop, just say, and it has a password, and you're saying, I'm not giving you the password to my encrypted laptop because of self-incrimination, right? So you're protected by the Fifth Amendment, or so we all thought. So what everybody doesn't understand is Trump, is not really de- demolishing our civil. I mean, he is. He's just going for it. They're going live now. But as far as the the dwindling away of our, especially the first ten amendments, which were there to protect the individual from the group thing. Okay, those are the ones that are being slowly. Um, they're going out right off the cliff, man. We're losing them. And so the fifth amendment. There were two cases that came up, and this had to do with incrimination, self-incrimination. And in both cases, uh, they lost. The, the, the defendant lost, and the judge told them that they had to give up the passwords in order to get into the encrypted laptop so they could see if they had done banking fraud or something, okay? So what they were saying in San Francisco in 2012, okay? So look, at we're in 2017, and all these people in fucking academia, at the highest levels of academia, were sitting there saying, oh, well, we can use a neural cap down the road which is to put it on there where it has sensors, right? And they start asking you questions, and they use biometrics. So the optical, the vocal, right, the facial expressions, these are all down. They're trying to get it down to a minute science where it, 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 it like, tells you what it means to be human. Fuck you guys. It's never going to happen because it's just not going to happen. But this is what they believe with the advent of artificial intelligence and these type of technologies. So they're in San Francisco, and these are like, you know, um, Dr. Amy Goodman is the president of the University of Pennsylvania. You have Berkeley, Stanford, all those fucking weirdos up in, up in Northern California that in Emeryville, they're doing all this biotechnology and synthetic biology and all this stuff that we're going to have the walking dead one day. Because the shit that they're doing, nobody is minding the shop. So, so they're all up there saying, yeah, we could put a neural cap, and then they go, well, what about the Fifth Amendment and all these academia and the medical professors say, well, that won't be relevant because we could use these technologies to, you don't even need defense fucking attorneys. You just put these fucking neural helmets and you put them in a biometric hot room, and then you, you just question them when they're, they're either guilty or not. People aren't minding the shop about what the realities. Uh, you know, crazy can't do the shit that Argus have done in the research that we've done. Victims who wanted to know why there was a burning at the right side of their temporal lobe, and that's the only region that you feel you get a headache, means that they're fucking sending a magnetic pulse through the right temporal lobe to disorganize those neurons. that in the beginning, before they even went live with my targeting, I was in physical fucking therapy with a pinched nerve in my first and second vertebrae. That's at the back of the sp- where the, 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 the brain, the skull, meets the, the spine. Pinched nerves. 
part of my dental thing they're saying is, well, you know, you're 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 grinding your teeth. No, I'm not grinding my teeth. They're sending electric shocks to me, and I'm probably biting down. So they don't even call, they don't even call it, you know, electroshock anymore treatments. They call it transcranial magnetic stimulations. They stimulate various neurons in the brain. They send a magnetic pulse through very targeted regions of the human skull to disorganize or disrupt those neurons. But they don't call it electroshock. But it's the same premise. And what happens when you electrically shock someone? They generally bite the fuck down. I don't grind my teeth. They're sending fucking pulses while I'm sleeping. When is the person most vulnerable? When they're asleep. <coughs> but that's right. It's not torture. So that was another thing with the dentist. You're, gr- you're really grinding your teeth or you're biting down really hard. Yeah, because I'm sleeping and I've woken up a couple times when I'm feeling the charges going from my, the top of my head down my central nervous fucking system and my whole body is seizing the fuck up. Why? Because they're doing it to me. The human biology and neurology has no firewall to protect itself. And yet when you go and you want, what do I get from a defense attorney? Well, you need to write legislation. Now how the fuck am I going to write legislation? I do accounting in the fucking entertainment industry, or at the time I did. Now how am I going to write legislation? Then I go and talk to someone at the, the, the Fair Employment and Housing. Well, you need to add a new category under the protected classes of persons. I just got a, a response back from the, the FCC, right? They're the ones that assign all the frequencies, whether you fly a drone to the wireless signals to whatever. And I told them they're using these radio frequencies as weapons. And the FCC says, well, as much as we're really concerned about this, there's really nothing we can do. It falls out of our category. Well, then who the fuck is going to help us if you assign the frequencies? But, hey, at least I documented, and no one's going to tell me that I didn't try. So, anyway, it says, and even when extreme measures do yield information, it's credit. Okay, so I'm sorry. Uh, that wreckage includes the emotional trauma that torture leaves on torture, torturers themselves. So it's not just the person, because I know I'm traumatic. I, have, I, I suffer from uh, trauma. I know I suffer from trauma. My family asked me once, well, what is it? And I said, I suffer from trauma. I've been traumatized by what these people have done to me. So it says the, uh, but then now they're worried. And, and uh, by the way, this part right here that I'm going to read, this same thing, you know, I told you about Fort, uh, Fort Sam Houston in Austin, Texas, the state-of-the-art uh, Army um, medical research facility, 
Army, it's our Air Force, the Army Medical Research, right? Uh, they're studying the human biological effects of exposure to directed energy weapons. They don't care so much about the victim that's being fired indiscriminately with. They're worried about the people who are firing the weapons and how much exposure to radiation they get and how do they take it psychologically from torturing someone at a fucking distance. Well, blaster drone operators, many of them have PTSD. You know, the ones I've had in the cargo containers in the Nevada deserts? A lot of them have PTSD. And they, weren't even, they didn't even step foot on the battlefield. So it says, the wreckage includes the emotional trauma that torture leaves on torturers themselves. Studies record PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder, guilt, and remorse in soldiers and interrogators who we return to civilian, who return to civilian life, even, at, even if at the time of the interrogation, the torturer believed such actions were in the service of the greater good. Discussing the impact of torture on torturers, Omara turns to the controversial obedience study by Stanley Milgram in which subjects were asked to give what they were told were painful electric shocks in increasing voltage to another human as well as to the similarity. similarly controversial prison studies conducted by Philip Zimbardo in which college students role-played as guards quickly fell into patterns of abuse in dealing with studies who were uh, students who were the designated prisoners. Both of these, um, actually last year, they, the um, two feature films were done on Stanley Milgram's uh, The Electric Shock and then um, uh, Dr. Philip Zimbardo's Berkeley Stanford Prison Experiment. So they were trying to explain to people, you know, you think that you're so smart that you can't ever be manipulated, and yet most of these people that are out there torturing targets, they would claim that they were smart and no one could manipulate them, yet they're indiscriminately committing acts of terrorist violence. But, you know, when you prey upon people's egos, remember the MICE, what, how do you get an asset? There's, there's the acronym MICE, sex, money, ideology, coercion, and ego. Ego plays a big part. You stoke people's egos, and they, they, it, it, it's over with, especially when you're dealing with a bunch of fucking narcissists. <clears throat> Omar quotes a former Guantanamo interrogator's description of the step-by-step internal processes by which engaging in torture damages the torturer. The start, not unless you're a fucking psychopath, and most of these people who torture, they are psychopaths, but, you know, we'll talk about that later. Um, <clears throat> The starting point for torture is the dehumanization of a detainee. Once the detainee's human status no longer matters, in the mind of the torturer, he or she can unleash personal, even national aggression. The detainee is subjected to suffering, and the torturer lets go of reason. One of the marks of humanity and descent into rage. Such rage suggests the true underlying unstated purpose of torture, whatever rationale is given to inflict vengeance. Finding the way to return from such darkness to a position of compassion isn't easy, which leads to the final question Omar possesses. Are there effective, humane ways to conduct interviews with detainees? His answer focuses on talking, build rapport, and surprise detainees by not using coercive techniques. 
prepare and train for interrogation sessions through role play. Change the purpose of the interview from eliciting a specific confession to gathering as much information as possible about the detainee's life, social connections, and activities, and research what works and doesn't work rather than make assumptions that that ultimately cause damage. Omara is thorough, but profession, non-professional like me, but non, uh, Omar is uh, thorough, but non-professionals like me may at times find this his review of the scientific literature overly detailed and technical. At the same time, some passages stream with his anger and outrage over the abuses perpetrated under the Orwellian euphemism of enhanced interrogation techniques. I wish he'd found a better balance between such sharply contrasting tones with its unrelenting focus on the psychological damage and psychic injuries that result from torture. This book can be tough going it can be tough going emotionally, but then again, as Omara demonstrates so thoroughly, the subject of torture is a tough one to confront. So that was Diane Clovis, the author of Memoirs of After Great Pain, A New Life Emerges. She writes for so anyway, that was the article. So it does do damage. I mean, I already know. That's I, I, I flat out told them. They said, what is it? And I said, I'm, I'm, I've got trauma. And I know it comes out sometimes. I don't have the patience for these motherfuckers. I really don't. They knew how to dish it out. But see, in my eyes, I want them to be tortured in kind. I want to see how long they could take it. They they sit there and think that they could take, oh, I could take it. Oh, I never would have reacted the way she did. Well, how, you motherfucker, you didn't bother to put yourself in the line of fire 24-7, 365. You come back after a couple years of 24-7, 365 of indiscriminate, you don't know how many hits per day you're going to take, and let's see how long you can take it. Oh, wait a second. That's right. There's a difference between a target and a perpetrator. You know how I know? Because perpetrators couldn't even make it past the first core capability, which was psychological operations and propaganda, before they jumped on board and picked up whatever tactic, technique, and or weaponized technology was handed over to them that fired indiscriminately at an unarmed, defenseless human being. Fuck you, perpetrators. You'd never be able to take what we have to. That's why there's a difference between a target and a perpetrator. You don't have the capacity to put up with what we've had to put up with. That's why you weren't even considered to be someone on the other end. Because your psychopathologies in the perpetrator community show that you either have a borderline or full-blown personality disorder that makes you fodder to be recruited into this cult-driven mentality. Okay, and I've got one more that I'm going to do. Um, Scientology, Leah Remini has been doing a brilliant series on what happens when you leave the church and how they retaliate against you. I'm telling you, it's like right out of the book of targeting. But you have to understand that 
more than likely, if your targeting has not been done by Scientologists, okay, or satanic worshipers, they're being done by community members who have been recruited and radicalized in the same manner in which Scientology is. Even Leah Remini uh, put, said that, you know, Trump and his cronies are very similar to the hierarchy of Scientology and how they retaliate against people. So I wanted to play this one part, um, but they just screwed up my uh, web thing. Okay, so here, so let me read this. So the church, so I'm going to give you the disclaimer that they put on several times. And says the Church of Scientology challenges the credibility of the contributions appearing in this program and their statements. At the airing of this episode, the Church has not agreed to participate. Information the Church provided about matters discussed in this series can be viewed at aptv.com. So I'm going to play an excerpt, and this is one of them was an attorney who. Um, defended someone and what they did to him. So remember, they don't just retaliate against the member. They retaliate against other people using these tactical operations. One of the best episodes that she did was called Fair Game. And when you watch that, it'll, it'll, it'll be like, oh, my gosh. But remember, and you have to remember this, Target, you're not being targeted by Scientologists. You are being targeted by recruited members of your community who have been radicalized in the same way that any other cult members would be radicalized and so they believe that what they're doing is for the greater good, the noble cause, to advance science and technology. You know, all those narratives that, you know, Dr. Joseph Mengele from the Nazi camp used to say, and his scientific cohorts. So they just rebrand shit, you know, but it's the same thing. It just keeps repeating itself. Well, it's come home to roost this time. So let me play the, this excerpt, and it also... One of the other interviews was with a, a former Mooney who became a deprogrammer. And he talks about, you know, having to come up against the Scientologists who, who, who came after him. And there was another episode where there were several reporters who talked about what they did to them, you know. So they go after people, but it's the same uh, aggressive tactical operation. Organization 
which to Scientologists is the hub of Scientology. What happened to Debbie was she was a victim of her own success. Her organization had uh, an annual budget, I think it was $100, $150 million. So Debbie gets pulled out to work in California directly with David Miscavige, the leader. That's when she went through the looking glass, and it was a nightmare. sent out this email. It said, hi, it's Debbie Cub. I'm in good standing with the church because if it didn't say that, people would have just erased it, ignored it, uh, and then blocked her. So I looked at the email and I'm like, oh, it said things in there that we have all experienced as Scientologists. I was like, oh my God, it really affected me. And for that, she got sued by the church's side. Oh, right. a 40-something-year-old woman with a 
very, very respected job. And so the church's response to that was what? They they really never responded um, in in the courtroom before Debbie could even finish all of her testimony. They uh, called it quits. What's completely different? So that was good because she was allowed to testify and get it in the public record. So that's one thing. Uh, they only did one day of hearing, and then the Church of Scientology abandoned it because they didn't want her to say any more. So this is important for targets, and, and I, I see one target in the chat, and after I finish this, I'll, I'll get on the call uh, and talk to the people in the, the chat room. Um, but you take it to trial. You don't plea bargain. Don't plea bargain. No matter what happens, you don't plea bargain. You take it to trial because you want to testify about what's been done to you. And as you notice, even with Scientology, they, they, ran, they ran away because they don't want people hearing it because it goes on the public record. It's a court document. So one thing, if you're falsely accused, you take it to trial. Good, bad, or indifferent, no matter what happens, you take it to trial and that you want to testify because you want your victimization to go on the public record. So in this case, Scientology ran. In the other cases, as we know, um, <coughs> they threw it out of court because those targets said, fuck this shit. You guys are falsely accusing me, and this goes to trial. And even though you had to show up and they didn't, in the end, those case, the, it was dropped. Because they don't want to testify it because you get to testify. And when you testify, or people like me, I got a trove of information that I'm going to, I'm going to detail. Than every other case I've ever been involved with was that the Scientology does not just try to defeat your client and win the merits of the case against your client, but they try to attack you, the lawyer, personally. I have never had that done in my career. And every day, it seemed like I got threatening letters from their lawyers, whether we were in court or, or not. Uh, they file motions to disqualify the lawyers. I've been called unethical and even immoral in in my entire career, I've never had a complaint against me. Uh, they, they're on constant offensive against the lawyers. And that may be true because I've been to where I've had lawyers say, come and meet with me because it sounds like there's merits to your case. By the time I get to that appointment, they could not wait to get me out of their office. So that's the infiltration, right, before you get, even get to the lawyer. So you give them the documentation. You explain what's happening. They say, okay, I mean, I don't know when I was living up in Marin, because, you know, I've had to move all over the fucking place. So when I was up there, I was driving across the Golden Gate Bridge. I could make these appointments with law firms and lawyers and stuff, and then everybody said it was fine. And then all of a sudden, a week later, when you have scheduled your appointment to the law firm or the lawyer, right, they couldn't wait to get you out of the office. It was the most amazing thing that I'd ever been through. But it happened time and time and time again. 
So what happened between me making the appointment, them having the, the material information that they could bring it to trial, and then suddenly, by the time you get there, they don't want to, they want you out of their office as soon as you can get out. And they can't help you.
So you saw what they did to this guy. I mean, and and it is, you know, when any target when you're when they blitz you, because that's what the NSA term is or the GCHQ. You know, I just said they go live in an overt manner and they just they come at you with everything. But the actual term, the National Security Agency and the their uh, British counterparts, it's uh, the GCHQ is called blitzing someone. You take every capability that you have, whether it's a boot on the ground your boots on the ground to the technological side, you know, where, they, where you know the surveillance and the, the computer network exploitation and the computer network attacks and all those things that start happening simultaneously around you. It'll take you, it'll just, it, it scares the shit out of you. And these people have been through it and they understand. So there is something though that um, there was a psychologist. See, like I told you, you know, when they don't, we're not, when they're not erasing my fucking short-term memory with an electromagnetic zap. Um, there was, I read an article, and it's the Institute of Ethics and Emerging Technologies, and they want to. They, there was a couple psychologists that wanted to have a D, DSM, you know, the diagnostic from the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. It's called re, uh, Religious Trauma Syndrome. And these are people who get out of these fundamentalists, these kind of like if these people wake up from the Trump world, you know, and th- there's trauma that happens with it and fear because they think, oh, you can't leave the group because, you know, I might get targeted or, you know, all this other stuff. So it's really hard for people to leave. So there's actually, I mean, you can look it up, it's Religious Trauma Syndrome. And there is a psychologist that, and she came from a cult um, type of, uh, just a hardcore evangelical, I think it was, um, or those latter-day people, you know, those Joel's army that think you take everything by force and all that other fundamentalism. I mean, I don't care if you believe in God, you know. It's when you take it to the extremes like these people are doing right now. 
trying to take over, you know, change, uh, change the constitutional law to biblical law. It's like, get over it, you know, get the hell, you know, go to, go, go to, uh, take your cult, you know, and go over to Jim Jones, because I'm sure the, the area in Guyana is open, because nobody wants to live there with all them 900 ghosts that are running around, 900 plus ghosts that are running around. Take your fucking belief system and go over there, and you can punish each other if you don't, you know, live by those standards, but stop trying to jam that shit down other people's fucking throats. So anyway, these people who walk away from it tend to have some trauma. So you know how, the, like the torture, the torturer, the person who's tortured has trauma, but the people who do the torturing also have it. Well, it's the same type of shit. Once you wake up and walk away from it, you know that Mike Rinder. I don't know a couple episodes he started bursting into tears. It's like, yeah, but you did all this shit to people. You were one of the hench people for Scientology, you know. And he does. He's been apologizing to all these people on this 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 series. But it's like, yeah, you were one of those fucking people. Don't come to me and ask for, for forgiveness because you ain't never going to get it for people like, from people like me. I will never, ever, ever forgive the people who targeted me. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> There's one more thing I wanted to cover, but I'm going to do it on another show. <clears throat> this is something called the uh, Johnson Amendment. And the Washington Post put out an article. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Or maybe I'll cut. Uh, oh, here, this was from the Washington Post, but you can get it anywhere. So I think it's a pretty quick article, so I'm going to read it really fast. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, Trump said he'll totally destroy the Johnson Amendment. And this is digressing. This is going into uh, new politics. But it's important because it has to do with civil liberties and civil rights and, and, and utilizing the term because of my religious beliefs, therefore I don't have to blah, 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 right? Serve you in a restaurant, let you write, you have to write in the back of the bus because of my religious beliefs. I don't have to give you control pills because of that. Okay, so that's not part of it. And it's very dangerous because it starts whittling away more at our constitutionally protected rights and liberties. In particular, the first 10 amendments, right? The first 10 amendments, the Founding Fathers, it was not in the, the original draft of the Constitution, which the former Brennan, I think, um, who was CIA, he says, oh, yeah, go to the archives and take out a, you know, the, the draft of the Constitution. So everyone thinks, oh, what a patriot. Well, what people didn't realize was that draft of the Constitution did not have the first ten amendments, which were the Bill of Rights. And the Founding Fathers decided to put the Bill of Rights in after because they wanted to protect the individual's rights against this group type of mentality right? The mob mentality. So actually the first 10 amendments were there to protect our individual rights from that type of mob mentality. But Brennan, when he swore his oath uh, uh, to the Constitution, the one everyone thought, what a patriot, you know, he's getting it out of the archives and all that other hoo-ha propagandized bullshit, and he ended up swearing to the Constitution that did not have the Bill of Rights, the most important part of the Constitution. Okay. So it says, this is posted in the Washington Post under Acts of Faith, uh, Trump, he'll totally destroy the Johnson Amendment. What is it and why should people care by Julie Zalmer, Z-A-U-Z-M-E-R, February 2nd. It says, in his address at the National Prayer Breakfast this morning, President Trump made one clear policy declaration. I will get rid of and totally destroy the Johnson Amendment, quote unquote. What is that? 
Is it in Trump's power to destroy it? Question mark. And who would want him to do that? What the Johnson Amendment is, it is named for Lyndon B. Johnson, who introduced it in the Senate in 1954, nine years before he became president. It bans all tax-exempt nonprofit profits, which include churches and other houses of worship, as well as charities, from directly or indirectly participating in any political candidate's campaign. Trump has against it. Trump presents this ban on participating in policy making as a restriction of the freedom of faith group and put their religion in action. If their religion calls on them to campaign for a candidate, at Thursday's prayer breakfast, Trump said that his reason for opposing the Johnson Amendment is that it impinges on America's right to worship according to our own beliefs. So right there, it's hypocrisy because if you believe that people have a right to worship, then why are you banning Muslims, you fucking hypocrite? Okay. Apparently, describing campaign participation as a form of worship. This is Trump's first time bringing up the subject as president, but it's a vow he has made several times before. Speaking to a group of hundreds of conservative Christian faith leaders who met with him in June, Trump made his opposition to the Johnson Amendment a key point of his well-received speech. I think maybe that will be my greatest contribution to Christianity and other religions. It is to allow you, when you talk religious liberty, to go and speak openly, and if you like somebody or want somebody to represent you, you should have the right to do it, he said. You don't have any religious freedom if you think about it. He included in his acceptance speech when he won the Republican presidential nomination as well, after he thanked evangelical Christians, they have so much to contribute to our politics, yet our laws prevent you from speaking your mind from your own pulpit. An amendment pushed by Lyndon Johnson many years ago, threatens religious institutions with the loss of their tax-exempt status if they openly advocate their political views, Trump said. How it actually works. Most of the discussion of the Johnson Amendment, whether coming from Trump or from pastors, focuses on whether clergy put their church's tax-exempt status at risk when they endorse their favorite candidate from the pulpit. But in reality, the Internal Revenue Service very rarely punishes churches for political statements. For several years, more than 2,000 pastors have joined what they call Pulpit Freedom Sunday, quote-unquote, to test the ban by speaking their political views in their sermons, and the IRS has only investigated once and did not punish in that case, according to conservative organizations that organized the annual effort. This evangelical leader came to D.C. from Canada to pray for refugees outside the National Prayer Breakfast. Oh, there's a link. Most people's concerns is, if you allow churches to freely allow political activity, churches, synagogues, temples, whatever, the religious organization, now what you've done is you've turned those into super PACs, said David Herzig, uh, a Bell Paricio University tax law professor. Churches would be free to use their budgets to support campaigning, and citizens would get a tax deduction for contributing to the church, which would still be a 501c3 nonprofit. Also, Hersick pointed out nonprofits like churches aren't required to make the same public disclosures as PACs, so political funding could theoretically become much less transparent if campaign funding were funneled through churches. How to get rid of it? The Johnson Amendment is part of the tax code, so to remove it would take an act of Congress. But President Trump can direct the IRS not to enforce that portion of the law, Hersick said. 
Yeah, technically, the only way to get rid of the Johnson Amendment is to have Congress repeal that portion of the 501c3. It doesn't mean the executive branch doesn't have tremendous power and the ability to decide whether they're going to enforce the Johnson Amendment. That would mean the next president could direct the IRS to enforce it, but churches would be free from worry about their political speech or donating during Trump's term. Who wants it gone? Until Trump's campaign, the Johnson Amendment rarely came up in political discussion. Some pastors, including those 2,000 who publicly opposed the policy on Pulpit Freedom Sunday, objected to the ban, but it wasn't high on most Christians' policy wish list. LifeWay, a Christian polling firm, found in 2015 that 79% of Americans thought clergy should not endorse candidates during worship services. Evangelicals were more likely to say pastors should be able to do so. 25% compared to 16%, but support for clergy enforcement was low across the board. Trump's attack on the Johnson Amendment has found eager supporters, though, including Jerry Falwell Jr. and other prominent evangelicals who supported his presidential campaign. On the other hand, many religious groups like their non-political status just find the way it is. After Trump spoke Thursday morning, for instance, the Baptist Joint Community for Religious Liberty quickly put on a statement saying repealing the Johnson Amendment would not further the religious liberties that they stand for. Politicizing churches does them no favors. The promised repeal is an attack on the integrity of both our charitable organizations and campaign finance systems. Inviting churches to intervene in campaigns with tax-deductible offerings would fundamentally change our houses of worship. It would usher our partisan divisions into the pews and harm the church's ability to provide refuge, the organization said. So basically, it starts with the churches about your religious beliefs. But then, then it goes. It can start going into, you know, like your work or something. Well, we don't have to hire you because you're LGBT or because you, you know, you're a woman or whatever, right? So then you start whittling away. It starts with one thing, but it starts whittling away at all these fundamental rights and liberties. So we got to be careful because we already know it's under attack because our rights and liberties have been completely ignored throughout this whole process. Now everybody's beginning to feel it. So now they know what we feel like. Karma's a motherfucker, you know? And I just got one word to say about evangelicals. Look, look up the word, or uh, write up the word evangelist. E-D-A-N-G-E-L-I-S-T. Evangelist, okay? So you take those the, the letters of the, that word, and you, when you scramble it around, what you get is evil agents. And I learned that lesson a long time ago because I happened to be somewhere where they were. I happened to go before I was taking it. Uh, it was up from Los Angeles, and I was flying from Oakland back down to L.A. And so they wanted to stop at their church service. It was a family member. And I was like, well, number one, this is really weird because why are we in a, a high school gymnasium for a church service? So then, you know, they had their hands in the air, and a good thing they didn't start speaking in tongues because I would have been the fuck out of there, okay? They started speaking. The only people that speak in tongues, I thought, were people who were possessed by the devil, not be Christians, right? So anyway, they had their hands in the air, and they were, and it was just, it just, it hit me the wrong way. And I trust my instincts. And this was back in the early 2000s. This was actually in 2000. And so, um, and then, and then they passed around quarterly report. And this is Silicon Valley, so you got all those people, those multi-billionaires in Silicon Valley in the early 2000s, because that when the tech boom was starting to happen. So 
there are all these members, right, in the Saratoga area and the, the Cupertino area of the Silicon Valley. So there are all these executive people, you know, these. And so and I think they were called the vineyards. So anyway, it just it just struck me wrong. It was like my instinct started screaming the moment I walked in there. Something's not right about this, okay? So and and they were it was this evangelical movement. So anyway, the 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 quarterly report comes around and I look at it and it says that they in donations they got like six hundred and fifty thousand dollars in one quarter. Because you know you're talking about this new billionaire tech industry and all these people are dumping money and I'm like if you have six hundred and fifty million fucking dollars right in one fucking quarter why don't you guys have a fucking church that was the next thing that hit me this doesn't make any sense you guys are in a school gymnasium and you don't have a church and you're making this much money in, in quarterly or annual maybe it was annual you know annual donations I'm like this is a lot of freaking money over here right so then that hit me. So I, I'm getting on the airplane. I'm flying from Oakland back down to L.A., you know, and I'm talking to a – I get on the phone, and I said, man, I got the heebie-jeebies. I walked in in the early – this was the early 2000s, okay? It was in the year 2000. And I said, you know, I went to this service, and they, I can't remember what – I think they were the vineyards, and it was this evangelical movement, and it, there's something not right about these this group. There are not – there's something – they're up to no good. It's the, my instincts were something's not right, you know? And then that's when he told me, well, take the word evangelist, evangelist, right? And, you know, the letters from the word evangelist and then scramble them around and what you get are evil agents. And from that point on, I said, I don't want nothing to do with these people. And I trusted my instincts then and I have seen the damage and I'm now seeing the the pure damage that they're going to be doing to this country all based on their religious beliefs. You know, no different than a freaking caliphate. They're just a Christian caliphate. Convert or die. Fuck you. It's never going to happen. And you wonder why I'm targeted. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. you could believe whatever the hell you... You could worship Satan. You could worship the tree. You could worship the sea. You could worship the sky. It doesn't matter. What matters is when you take that belief and all the in, in, in whatever your group decides to do, and you cross the line, and instead of keeping your own selves in line, you decide to take that and cross the line over and say, now you're going to interfere with somebody else. That's when I have a problem. I won't. I, I don't give a shit if you're a fucking Scientologist. More power to you if that's what gives you whatever you think you need it is to give you. But when you cross the line and you think it's okay to target someone or to tell them how to live their fucking lives, then I have a major, major problem with it. And I always have. It's like live and let live, right? But now you're crossing the lines and you keep crossing the fucking lines. And I don't have any patience for that. That's why you hear me cursing these people out all the time. I do not have the patience for this nonsense, and I never did. But what's happening, which is some ways positive, is that the veil of fear is lifting. And people are saying, remember I told you about the acronym of fear, F-E-A-R? Right, so evangelists, scramble the goddamn words around and you'll get evil agents. And I trusted my instincts in the early 2000s. I walked into that place, and it was instantaneous, hairs on the back of the neck. These people are up to no freaking good. I trust my instincts, 
And I, I'm glad I did. Because look at what they're up to now. But the word fear, right? You can fuck everything and run, right? F-E-A-R. Or you can face everything and rejoice. You could face everything and revolt. Or at, we're at the point now, you face everything and revolutionize. It's time for a revolution. And I've been out of it, out of the, the movement. But there's going to be a point when I decide to come back and there ain't no stopping me at that point. And that's what they're afraid of. What was one of the two things? What did I tell you? When I, the only time I ever asked why. And what did that person say to me? Because you know how to organize. Why? Because I was opposed to the war and I was out there in L.A. And I was with a group of people who got the second largest city in the nation, the L.A. City Council, to pass an anti-war resolution before the war happened. And then the ACLU came in and said, hey, we want your group to help. We want to pass a resolution in opposition to those provisions within the U.S. Patriot Act that are unconstitutional. And I was working full-time in the fucking entertainment industry, and I was doing peace movement work and out-at rallies and trying to educate the public. And what happened? Our group. So first we get the second largest city in the nation to pass a resolution in opposition to the war on Iraq before the war happens. Because it was, you know. Then we get approached and say, hey, you know, will you help us with the, um, you know, and they're all symbolic, right? So would you get, you know, on a, uh, the USA Patriot Act, right, an anti-Patriot uh, Act resolution? It's not against the whole Patriot Act. Just those provisions that usurp the fundamental rights and liberties of individuals. And we found out in the Snowden leaks, Section 215 of the USA Patriot Act was doing a whole lot fucking more than just, you know, getting your library fucking records and your medical records. So that was in the early 2000s, right? So here, you know, way ahead of the game. So, gee, I wonder what, what got me on the radar. Maybe it was because I was the logistics and um, logistics and security organizer for an anti-war resolution that happened that we were planning to do with our organization in Hollywood on the day of the Oscars, 2003. Was that four days after the bombs started dropping on Iraq? None of us knew that Bush was going to start dropping bombs on that Wednesday or Thursday, nor did we know on that Sunday that all the cameras were going to be out there. And here we are trying to have an anti-war freaking rally. And it was absolute fucking chaos out there. Anybody who had an anti-war sign was being arrested or beaten with the club. They were not allowed to pass Hollywood Boulevard up to the Oscars to show that there were Americans who were opposed to the war on Iraq. And I'll never forget. Our permit had expired because I had to go get the permit and I had to go to the city council so that they would give us permission to have the anti-war rally in Hollywood. Then I had to go over to the Hollywood division of the police station and talk to the two captains of the Hollywood police station to get them to give us a location so that we could have our anti-war rally. So you want to talk about getting on the radar? But what really was interesting was that when the organization, the Neighbors for Peace and Justice, decided to have the anti-war rally, 
there was an there were a couple informants in the group. After we got the the anti-war resolution passed in the second largest city in the nation, and we were a small neighborhood group that managed to get 12 members of the city council or eight nine members or something to vote on an anti-war resolution, that was pretty amazing. So of course you go way high on the radar. Your organization does. So we're out there, and then you know I, I was you know uh, putting on events and you know helping the organization do all this other stuff. And um, an informant in the group, and you can tell it was an informant. Well, we didn't know until later because the whole group broke up. But he must have been an informant because he kept saying to me, you need to get in front of the cameras. And I said, I don't get in front of the cameras. I work in the background. You know, I'm organizing these things. I'm getting people, you know, you be here on Sunday. You be here at this event on on uh, Saturday or whatever, right? We need bodies to go over here and get petitions signed. So that's the type of stuff that I did. And he goes, no. You need to get in front of the camera and you need to get your name out there. You need to talk to the media and you need to get your name out there. And I go, I don't do that. We have a media group that handles that portion of it. I don't do that. Then someone from the group goes, yeah, well, maybe you should, you know. So what is it, KPFA or something down in uh, L.A.? Um, so I went to that. I, I went and uh, someone spoke, but then my name was mentioned. And then they told me, yeah, you better get your name out there. So I didn't think about it, right, because, you know, I'm working full-time. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm working for a peace organization that's opposed to the war. You know, no, you don't think anything of it. And then, um, so we had the event on the Sunday when the Oscars were transpiring, and then the ABC News came out, and then they pushed me out there to talk to them, so I talked to the news. And, it, it, you know, I didn't have time for it because we're, I was trying to get, you know, the stage set up and all this other stuff because that's what I was doing. And mind you, I was still working full-time, you know, doing production accounting in the, uh, in the entertainment industry. So I'm sitting here busy with all this, and it doesn't dawn on me that maybe I'm getting on some, I was already on somebody's radar. So anyway, the event ends, right? And it's 6 o'clock, and our permit has expired, because we only got it from, I think it was noon to 6. And the permit expired, so LAPD is in the riot gear, right? And they're all, they start lining up into the riot formation, I think they were like 10 across and 8 deep. And they have their helmets and their shields down with their batons up. So they're all lining up, getting ready to cross the, 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 the cones, you know, that separated our event from Sunset Boulevard. We were locked down on Orange, uh, Orange south of Sunset, and we couldn't get, no one could get up to um, Hollywood Boulevard to, put their, you know, to say that there are Americans who are opposed to the war. Because that would have been the best media time because you have media from all over the world that cover the Oscars. So we were trying to get people up there to show that, you know, there are Americans who are opposed to the war. And Bush's directive literally was to lock everyone who had an anti-war sign down. They're not allowed to get anywhere near the media at the Oscars. So people broke away from our event and they were trying to get up there and the police were attacking. So... I, we had the National Lawyers Guild because, you know, you see them in these protests. They're, they were those, like, neon color hats, and they're a part of the National Lawyers Guild because they monitor the crowds to make sure they're not doing anything wrong, but also monitor the law enforcement to make sure they're not doing anything wrong. So we had the, law, the, the National Lawyers Guild, you know, uh, securing our event, and it ended up being I had to send all the National Lawyers Guild that were securing our event out into the streets of Hollywood because... There, there, people were, the police were losing their minds. Anyone who had anti-war was forbidden to cross the, uh, Hollywood Boulevard to get their signs out there 
to show the media that there were Americans who were opposed to the war. So anyway, 6 o'clock comes, and they're all lined up. The police are all, they're full of adrenaline at this point, and they're just ready to hit somebody, okay? <laughs> so I'm one of the event organizers, and I see them lining up, and they're getting ready to cross the barricades in order to disperse our crowd because we're trying to get the crowd dispersed peacefully. So I stand up there, and I put my hands out, showing them that I'm not armed. And I get right between all the riot police and the, and the barricades, and I tell them, I am one of the event organizers. We are trying to peacefully disperse the crowd. If you cross this line, you're gonna, it's going to cause chaos, because everybody was up to their the adrenaline, and just they were fed up at that point. The anti-war people were fed up, because they had been protesting for months, you know, to try to stop the war in Iraq. And then you had LAPD who was just, they were beside themselves because the day before there was a CNN protest and all this other stuff was going on in Hollywood. So I stand up between these riot police and I say, the next person you're going to hit is me. You will not use your clubs to hit any more people. I'm fed up at this point, right? And so I'm sitting there going, you people need to calm down. Do not cross these lines. We are attempting to peacefully disperse this crowd so that no more violence will ensue. And the next person you hit will be me, the event organizer. And I made sure my hands were up there so they, you know, so they saw I wasn't armed. Good thing, and I did this mainly because there was someone videotaping. So I said, if those fucking police hit me with their goddamn clubs, with me, with me telling them to calm down as the event organizer, I'm trying to disperse the crowd, then I could sue the shit out of the city. But needless to say, the captain of the Hollywood division, who now happens to be the commander for the counterterrorism for all of LAPD, which means I know one of the people who put my ass on the list, he steps out of the, the formation and he calls me by name. And I'm thinking, I can see out of the left side of my eye, this young officer is getting ready to pounce on me. And the moment he steps out of the line and hits me with that club, all these other young officers are going to beat the shit out of me. And I'm the event organizer trying to peacefully disperse the crowd. Okay? One of the event organizers. So I'm sitting there going, okay, this is, this is not cool over here. You know? But I had had enough. I, had, I was just, I was... I was so fed up at that point with all the violence that was going on that I said, you're not going to hit any more people and you're not going to cross these lines because we're trying to do it. We know our permit has expired. We're trying to get these people out of here so we can, you know, put our barricades together and, you know, clean up the stage and get off the street, so to speak. So anyway, needless to say, this now commander of counterterrorism for all of L.A. fucking PD who probably put my name on the list to begin with to get me targeted he ends up coming out and he says, um, he calls me by name and suddenly I became human because I had negotiated with him, you know, to get the space and all this other stuff. And what was really interesting, let me, let me backtrack, was I got there early so we could set up the stage so we could have Tom Hayden and, you know, Code Pink and all these people speaking, right? So <clears throat> we're sitting out there and first uh, the black and white comes, LAPD black and white. Next, the FBI comes out. And, you know, they have their jackets on, right? Next, the, the undercovers start coming out. And I didn't realize, but they had snipers on the roof of two of the areas on our event in case the crowd got out of control. This is how they treated us as protesters. 
This is in the early 2000s. So all this shit that these fucking people are doing in 2017, been there, done that, went back there and did it several fucking times before. Even helped organize shit. So you guys aren't doing anything new. So needless to say, he steps out of the crowd, the, the, the cap, he was the captain, one of the co-captains of the Hollywood division, and he calls me by name and he says, and then that was good because he called my name out really loud because he knew that these guys were getting ready to beat the shit out of me with their clubs. This is the LAPD over here. <laughs> he calls me by name and he says, yes, we will wait till you disperse the crowd. And what that did was it told every one of the other officers to stand down. So I'm like, oh, shit, man, I almost got the shit beat out of me by the fucking LAPD because I'm telling them to calm down because we're trying to disperse a crowd from a, you know, a, a protest rally, right, an anti-war rally. So I get back. So then they waited, and they're all in their, you know, their, their, shield, their helmets and their shields are down, and their clubs are up, and they're ready to, like, march, right? So I'm like, okay. So then I leave them, and I'm standing there, and I, I, so I take out a cigarette because I'm kind of nervous at this point. I, I thought it was kind of stupid. I could have really gotten hurt by the LAPD. But I was like, I had enough. Fuck you guys. You're not going to hit any more people, you know. So when I get to that point, that's when I'll do things that it's like you didn't think first, but I don't care. So anyway, all of a sudden, I'm sitting there smoking a cigarette, and then the commander for the riot police comes walking up, you know, and I can't remember what his name was. And he pulls out a cigarette, and he's lighting it, so we're going to be smoking as friends over here. And he goes, you know, this is one of the best organized events. You kept people under control. You guys didn't, you know, you, you always told them, and we're also, you know, saying, please stay calm and whatever, you know. And so he's trying to tell us that we had a really uh, good event. We kept the crowd as much under control as we could. You know, we didn't do any radical things or anything like that. And that we followed all the rules, you know, to get a permit and get the, the city council member for that district to allow us to have the, the rally and all that stuff in Hollywood. And then... um he goes, you know, so if you ever wanted to have another event, you know, you, you, you have my support, right? And I'm looking at this riot police going, your mother, and then, oh, the first thing he said to me is, I just want to let you know that there's a lot of young uh, law enforcement officers out there, and there's really, they're, they're un, there's a lot of adrenaline flowing through them, you know? So this guy, so the, the head of the riot division for LAPD is listening to me, getting ready for my ass to be beat by his people, and I'm trying to disperse the crowd peacefully. Okay, so he comes up to me and he thinks he's going to smoke a cigarette with me and we're going to just be pals over here. And my propensity to consume had reached the saturation point. The fluid drained from my spine and it pretty much damn near snapped at that point. So he comes up to me and he's trying to be friends. We're smoking a cigarette, you know, and I just wanted, he never said he was sorry. Now, if he said he was sorry, that would be something else, but he didn't. So he says, you know, these young officers, they have a lot of adrenaline and there's been a lot of stuff that went on today. I want to let you guys know that you really tried to keep, you kept your crowd under control.
So I'm not sure where my recording has been cut off, um, but it seems like uh, whatever I wanted to talk about with this Hollywood stuff, they seem to not want that history to be told. So one day I will tell that story again because it's a relevant story to why I was targeted, why I was put on the list, because my targeting is highly political. And I want to make sure that that goes on the record. So I'm not sure where my, my call was cut off, but I noticed that my call was ended. So I know that, that I was cut off. But that's standard operating procedures in the middle of the show, especially if there's relevant information that tells the history, especially of the victim who tells you why they were targeted and for what political reasons. So one day I'm going to do a whole show on that one. But I've already talked about it in different areas. So I'm going to let it go this time. And um, you should see the um, the... Follow the, the Leah Remini Scientology. Don't look at it in terms of Scientology. Look at it in terms of cult mentality, groupthink behavior, organized groups that become radicalized, and what they do to people that they consider their enemy. And then refer yourself back to your community. Your community are not satanic worshipers or all Scientologists. They are various members of society who've been radicalized into extremism by the state, corporate, and academia-sponsored, sanctioned, and covered-up domestic terrorist organization. And now they're going live, and they're going wide under the Trump administration. But I'm prepared for battle, and I have been for a long time. So bring it on, motherfuckers. Let's go to war. Or actually, you guys started the war. I just haven't fired the first shot yet. But eventually... We're going to, uh, I, I am going to, I'm done with this shit. But don't worry, I don't believe in guns. <laughs> but I'm going to learn how to shoot. So if you guys pick one up on me and you happen to drop it, I'll know how to fire it back. So I'm ready for the revolution because I've already been down the road. I know how to do it. And I know your weak point because I, like you thought you profiled me, I profiled your whole fucking organization from top to bottom. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.